Today on Dramatic Impact, a panel discussion from Playworks Inc. 2007, Evolution or Extinction, the Metamorphosis of the Canadian Theatre Artist. Is our changing landscape increasingly inhospitable to certain types of theatre artists? Or like all creatures in today's theatre world, must they evolve or go into television in order to survive? How might Alberta emerge from this metamorphosis a butterfly? It's hard for me to believe that we're now presenting the last recording that I made at Playworks Inc. 2007. After this episode, the show will continue, but as an independent project of mine. So please take note. Next month on Monday, July 7th, 2008, Dramatic Impact will have a new feed address and permanent website at www.actingandtheater.com. And that's theater spelled R-E. Those of you who are subscribed should automatically be redirected to the new feed address, but if you lose us, please go to the new website or find us on iTunes and resubscribe. Once again, that's www.actingandtheater.com. Also, because of these changes, you may have already noticed that you received an extra test file and some duplicate episodes. I wanted to apologize for that. Feel free to delete those extra files, and everything should be back to normal after next month. Thanks very much to those of you who wrote us reviews on iTunes. The ones we've gotten so far have already led to a boost in our listenership, so any of you who are out there that enjoy the show can make a difference by rating us in the iTunes store. I think you'll find this panel discussion moderated by Theater Alberta's Jill Connell extremely interesting and stimulating. It features four very articulate, passionate representatives of contemporary Canadian theater. Playwright, director, and actor Kevin Kerr, who you'll hear in the recording as the first person to dive in and respond to Jill's challenging question to the panel. Playwright and lyricist Morwen Brebner is the second one to speak, and you may recognize her voice from our very first episode in which we presented her keynote address. Then there's artistic director of Sage Theatre in Calgary, Kelly Ray, who's the third one to speak. And last but not least, the playwright, director, and actor, David Van Bell. You may also recognize David's voice from my interview with him that we presented in episode three. The questions that were posed were by no means fully resolved by this very stimulating panel discussion. So I'd like to know what you think. How do you think theater artists need to evolve in order to flourish in the contemporary theater scene and in order to be more in touch with changing sensibilities? You can post your thoughts by going to the new website and leaving a comment on the blog. So with that food for thought, let's listen to the panel. Welcome to our one of our final events. This is our panel discussion called Evolution or Extinction, the Metamorphosis of the Canadian Theatre Artist. And before we set the parameters on what exactly that is, I'm going to introduce our panelists. Right here on my left, we have David Van Bell, who of course has been an instructor this weekend and is also a playwright here at Playworks Inc. He's a Calgary-based writer, director, actor, and singer. 
And if you read his CV, he also does many other things. He's <laughs> like boxing, plays guitar, and it's great. He recently completed a six-year stint as part of the creative ensemble of One Yellow Rabbit Performance Theater, and the ensemble just won a Lieutenant Governor of Alberta Award, Art Award, um, so that was exciting. David also writes solo work. He's commissioned by ATP for Everything's Terribly Nice Here mm -hmm. and APN and ATP for High Step in the World, up forthcoming later. He's also got several directing projects on the go and has assistant directed alongside Blake Bricker on about a dozen shows, it appears. Oh All right. Oh, and also stage management and dramaturgy. I'm trying to kind of give an overview of what <laughs> these artists encompass that will inform what we're talking about today. Kelly Ray is beside David. He's the artistic director of Sage Theater, and he's been there producing all the shows since July of 2004. He's assistant directed on some recent um, big ticket shows like Pillow Man by Ground Zero Theater and Hit and Myth, Calgary Theaters of Mice and Men. He's also directed three Betty Mitchell award-winning productions through Sage Theater. And before that, Kelly did stage management with theater companies across Western Canada, including he was resident stage manager at Theater Junction from 2001 to 2004. So it's Kelly, and we're so glad to have him. This is his first event with Playworks Inc. this weekend. And of course, Kevin Kerr, one of our featured guests. He is a playwright, director, actor. He's um, a co-artistic director and founding member of Vancouver Theater of a Vancouver theater company called Electric Company Theater, which he often uses as a vehicle to produce many of the plays he's collectively written um, with his co-artistic directors over there. But he also does, at the same time, solo written plays. And you and your cohorts at Electric Company have also um, written, adapted a feature-length film out of a, their original stage play, The Score. And recently, you seem to be doing uh, dramaturgy as well. <laughs> so that's Kevin. Then on the end, we have Morwen Brebner. She's had, well, she's playwright in residence at Tarragon in Toronto. She's had many plays produced through Tarragon and Shaw Festival. She's worked with Ida Holmes as a director on many of her plays. And Morwen also does a considerable amount of writing for film and television. You're currently working on three one-hour dramas? I'm working on some pilots for, yeah, so yeah. Excellent. So these are our special guests for today's panel. The parameters of what we're talking about. I will read you the um, description in the program, which is the disappearance of the playwright, the merging of creators and performers, performers the emergence of the dramaturg, Without a doubt, the zeitgeist of contemporary Canadian theatre is one of transformation. Must we defend tradition against a threat or embrace flux and flow lest we become irrelevant? Is our changing landscape increasingly inhospitable to certain types of theatre artists? Or like all creatures in today's theatre world, must they evolve or go into television in order to survive? How might Alberta emerge from this metamorphosis of butterfly? And our tagline for Playwrights Inc. this year is the evolution of play. And um, kind of the inspiration for that, like we tried to program, you know, performance creation workshop, venues narrative with Kevin Kerr and embracing cinematic conventions, kind of looking at how the art we create, whether it's transforming and changing with the world around us. And Joanne DeLeo had sent me 
several months ago, this article, um, Give My Petards to Broadway, by Peter Birkenhead, who writes for a Salon magazine. And he was writing, and I apologize, it's American, but it seems quite relevant, or we'll see. Um, this is back in June 2007, and the line underneath is, why more people will be watching The Sopranos than The Tonys on Sunday night. Um, because the Tony Awards had scheduled their, well, the Tonys were on the same night as the Soprano season finale. So just to um, spark some ideas, here are a couple quotes that I thought were especially interesting. So Peter Birkenhead had, had said, you know, no one's going to watch the Tonys. And about, um, this is a letter, Dear Theatre World. You seem to have trapped yourself in a system of theatre creation that is positively Soviet in its unwieldy, self-satisfying <coughs> stuckness. A system that, for the last 50 years, has reacted to television not by learning from it, but by distinguishing itself from it, and thereby neutering and bleeding itself into desiccated, rarefied irrelevance. <laughs> then he goes on, there's some interesting things. He says the same elements are considered avant-garde in theater today, um, that were considered avant-garde, you know, in 1918. Um, that people who write for film and television aren't just doing it for the money. They do it because their work will be developed to death by an endless supply of places with mission statements. Because they know they have more artistic freedom, more fun, and more opportunities to do the kind of interesting work theater once provided, but no longer does. So... And one last final thing of Peter's insights. Some of you, theater people, seem to think the problem is the audience, that the only prescription for what ails a theater is to redouble your commitment to doing what, what is important and ambitious, he has in quotes. He's got news for you. People aren't staying away from the theater because it isn't ambitious enough. They're staying away because it's relentlessly ambitious, because it keeps insisting on its own unique and righteous importance despite all sad evidence to the contrary. <laughs> so, I read this, I was, I was vastly entertained. I, and this is where I'm so glad Joanne sent this, because that kind of sparked this idea of how theater is evolving. And so I want to start this discussion with a question to all of you. How is the art that we create as Canadian theater practitioners transforming and changing alongside the world around us, the media um, and technical possibilities alongside changing audience sensibilities. Are we changing or does theater in Canada have a staunch unwillingness to change? Um, wow, it's so, that's so massive. I really resent though the not the message there, but just the notion that we have to feel entrenched in our art or something, that we have to feel defensive at theater. Theater is always seems to be fight, uh, running up against this idea that, you know, it's at risk, it's a dying art, la 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 la, it's been happening forever. And we're still here, and uh, it's still happening. That doesn't mean that it's not evolving over in response to things that are going on culturally, because it always does, but I think there's this notion that somehow it's a competition between you know, certain media and stuff, and uh, that television and theater, or cinema and theater, and competition, and that's ridiculous. Uh, it's just, there, there's, there's, there's no comparison between the, the two worlds. And, um, and I think, you know, 
there's a, maybe an illusion that theater at some point in its history had been uh, enjoyed by everyone, by the masses. Everybody loved the theater, everybody went to the theater. I don't think that's ever happened. I don't think there's ever been a time where everybody loved the theater. I think theater always has been enjoyed by a few people. And that's uh, the reason for that, uh, I think, changes over the uh, generations. But even in Shakespeare's time, the time when we thought that everybody came to the theater and it crossed all sections of society. I think it was still just a very small uh, fragment of the population, obviously, because one thing about theater is it's very local and it's immediate. It happens in one place at one time, and not everybody can get to it. And it doesn't find its way into other places. So I don't think we have to feel like we have to have people watching the Tonys. Why would anybody watch the Tonys as opposed <laughs> to Sopranos? Nobody saw those plays. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and so it's not of interest. But, but that seems like it's backing up his argument that the theater's irrelevant, but I think it's just that we're, we're, we're not doing it for that uh, same uh, function of the mass broadcast. Mm -hmm. yeah. And also to, uh, to be outside of theater and categorize it as one monolithic thing, mm -hmm. as though all of theater was just the same production of the importance of being earnest mm -hmm. again and again, when it's not. And theater is renewing itself. There are all kinds of new independent companies, at least in Toronto, there's tons of them, and they're totally exciting, and people do go, and young people go, and it's absolutely not this definition of theatre, which is a false, which is a false definition of theatre that comes from a false place. And Well, I'll play devil's advocate a little bit, because I think, yeah, we do have a small, like, relatively small audience in the big scheme of things, but I, it, sometimes it feels like it's getting smaller and smaller and smaller yeah. with you know, with everything being so immediate, you know, cable television, the internet, YouTube, all this kind of stuff, where where you can watch a movie of the week and get the same entertainment value for free as you could watching, you know, like a play at, at a regional theater company uh, that's, that's, you know, that's a story. I don't want to offend, but, you know, that's, that's a beige, you know, predictable, paint-by-number paint story that you can watch on the comfort of your couch with a bowl of popcorn. Mm -hmm. Yep. So, there's yep. that, yeah. I would back that up as well, that the ways in which, you know, if, if theater is doing the same thing as, as television is doing well, television actually does way better. Yeah, you yeah. know. Uh, the, the theater that excites me and the theater that I want to see is a theater that does things that can only happen in a theater. Yeah. You know, and I think that that may be an interesting focusing point for us as theater artists. What does our art form do that these other art forms don't do? And I, I was thinking about it just preparing for this, thinking about painting and photography and how after the advent of the photograph, how painting changed so radically in actually a very short period of time, say within, you know, 20 years or so. Uh, because I think that painters ask themselves that particular question. If it is no longer a concern of mine to represent something faithfully, realistically, all of that's off the table, and now what am I going to do? And so it was like a reinventing of the form in order to, to, to communicate in a way that photography couldn't communicate. And I wonder, I think, that if theater is at fault, it's that maybe we have not made that change as quickly as painting did. I think we're kind of starting to now, uh, but maybe we've been a little pokey on that. Well, I think also theater has made the bad uh, choice of feeling threatened by yeah. mass media, and, yeah. and the choice has been we must become more like it, as opposed to what is we should become uh, more different. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's impossible. And, 
stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to talk about, there's obviously a very hot trend that has been coming on for some time of performance creation going on in Alberta and throughout the country. I mean here, um, we all have the National Performance Creation Canada, One Yellow Rabbit, which is hugely you know, successful in doing all these amazing things. My question is, in terms of the way theater is changing, this process seems to, in many cases, steer productions away from text-based work towards more physical work or image-based work or venue-based work or fusing of genres. And is this process, do you think, kind of the foundation for the future of what's exciting and challenging, or do you regret, you know, do you think there's room for both, or tech space is where it's at to have a, a compelling story? I think that text is important. I would say just as an, as an ad, like, why not, instead of saying that it replaces something, why not say that it just adds or enhances or that these things dialogue with each other and sort of make each other uh, richer because, you know, those kind of new problems, new new challenges for, you know, visuality and movement and that sort of thing, I think uh, really enrich uh, the written word. I would say, though, that I think that the way that we develop written plays, text-based plays in this country where things get into development for long periods of time and often uh, rob those things of their vitality, and instead of just putting a play up and seeing it and uh, doing it when it's having its moment, we let things we stretch it out too long and try and perfect things and instead of making them better we just make them different and so I think some of that is because it's more it's more fun to work with other people than to be by yourself <laughs> and it's also it's you can have a more immediate process and bring something to life more quickly and with more sort of vitality of the moment and I, I, and I feel like some of that is because we're letting we're, as a playwright you're always behind yourself you know, you write something and then it's produced, and then it's, but by the time it's produced, that's not what you're thinking anymore. Mm -hmm. And uh, I feel like there's, we have playwright, we have play lag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that <clears throat> there's a risk of kind of creating a divide between mm -hmm. uh, text based playwrights and the work that's being done in performance creation and the collective work that's being done so much in around the country. And it is very exciting work and it's happening everywhere. Uh, I know in Vancouver it's hugely uh, important right now. Here's something. Uh, there's a, a thing in Vancouver called Progress Lab. It's an association of 11 creation-based theater companies. 11 companies <laughs> that are all creation-based, doing original work, usually creating work as an ensemble or collective or non-traditional ways. These aren't ad hoc groups that are just uh, just came up last year and are going to be gone next year. There are companies that are, some of which are, in, are now 15 years old. Others are between 5 and 10 years old. And they banded together to create this sort of um, association, not only for the sense of uh, being able to share resources, ideas, and push each other in different ways. They, uh, many of these companies are on operating funding from various arts groups, and they produce all original work, right? So, it's a, so from the funding perspective, uh, uh, a lot of money's going in there that's coming out as new work. There are playwrights, though, in Vancouver that are very resentful of this because mm -hmm. If you're a playwright and you want your new play to be produced, who will produce it? None of these companies will, because they produce their own work. They create their own work. They're artist-generated works. And then it leaves only a couple other options of the bigger regional companies to do uh, new works, and they're not generally doing that. So 
I sense there's this frustration among uh, some, some playwrights in Vancouver that feel like money is being given specifically to a group of art, to specific artists all the time, uh, that they become the de facto playwrights and residents of the city, <laughs> and there's no room for anybody else. And that is partly, I think, coming up into creating the sense of divide between the two worlds. And I fear that that is actually, we're at risk with that, that divide, because I do think what is important is the marriage of these ideas. Because, um, not to say that the collective work and ensemble work at site-specific and creation, or uh, performer-created work, isn't uh, without uh, often strong narrative, but uh, I think there's yet to be a, uh, it's, it's really new still, there's a, a newness about it, and a lot of what makes it exciting is that novelty, is that newness, just like when first films were, were being shown, you could just go see a movie about a train coming in the station and be like, that rocks! <laughs> 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 uh, but it didn't say anything. Uh, eventually the films had to do more than just project images. Um, I think sometimes this new work um, is running the risk of being a bit uh, content thin, but spectacle thick, and, and eventually our audiences are going to start to tire of that, I think. What I think we want to do is start to create a dialogue about how do we talk about play development in ways outside of the text-based <coughs> models that we have, which maybe aren't even working that well anyway. So how do we start new conversations about uh, dramaturgy on a, on a in a system that doesn't speak to the way the norms that we normally have, and include all that great narrative work being done so that those playwrights aren't uh, alienated or that there's openings for more collaborations, maybe. Yeah, and I, I, I agree with, with what these guys are saying. I, you know, there's no, uh, I don't see why it has to be one or the other. Um, I think there's a lot that could be learned from both. And a lot that, you know, that, that text-based uh, performance can, can learn from creation-based performance and vice versa. And, um, you know, a, a perfect example of the marriage of the two is uh, Downstage produced a show this year for anyone in Calgary. Uh, that was uh, was a marriage of the two, and it was done very well. And you know, and I think that's the direction performance creation. That's me as an audience member. That's that's what I like to see. You know, a solid structure, a story, a, a narrative, but with all these fantastic new elements mm -hmm. and creative elements that that are totally outside of the box of a rigid of a rigid narrative structure. And also, like I think, um, I, I think I think though that. Creation-based pieces um, can uh, learn from from the structure of the stuffy old dramaturgical model, because as I've seen in many other creative creation-based pieces, it kind of goes off the rails because there's not that structure there, and you know it becomes spectacle. And and yeah, you can you know seeing the train coming to the station is is great, but you know after five minutes of that, what do you what do you have? I think that sometimes we talk about narrative, and maybe that's a more of a, like a loaded sort of a, a term where it maybe means, maybe it's a broader term that we need. We would always talk about it in One Yellow Rabbit when we would create a show about what is the, the organizing principle of this work. <laughs> and that, I do believe that performance creation work needs to have a, a strong organizing principle. And sometimes that's a story, and sometimes it's a kind of an identifiable structure where we can see, okay, this thing has a, a beginning, a middle, and an end of some kind. And without that, that's when, you know, uh, I think people get alienated from it or think it's sort of a wank or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's actually one of the, the challenges that Theatre Junction is facing in their, the work that they did last year, which was performance creation took uh, uh, big risks 
But for me, the thing that was lacking that they haven't discovered yet is that you need to have that sense of organizing principle to take your audience along with you. And I think that that, no matter how sophisticated your audience is, that's, it's a deep desire. We did a show uh, in 2005 uh, called Friction, which was part of a, a theater, what we called a theater triptych on the liberation of Holland with three companies, uh, One Yellow Rabbit, a company from Holland, and a company from Germany. And our show was strangely the most conventional of the three, which is not a, uh, we're, we're not really used to that one. Uh, uh, and that's because the, you know, like the German piece, you know, broke no stereotypes about German theater. Uh, although it was fascinating. And uh, we always kind of got a sense from the, the other artists who were like, oh, well, uh, how, how nice. You know, we, we had stories of soldiers and that because we knew that, uh, uh, we were going to have a lot of veterans come to our show, and we didn't, you know, we wanted our show to be a, a piece that the veterans could come to as well. And, you know, I always thought that they sort of thought maybe that our, you know, it's a little bit quaint what we were doing and that kind of thing, people standing up and telling stories. <laughs> but then when we got to, to Europe and, and, and played these shows, uh, like in Amsterdam, people would come up and say, oh, you know, it's, it's so nice to hear a story in the theater. <laughs> I haven't heard one of those in a while. So, uh, uh, you know, uh, Without making a, a, you know, a sort of a ridiculous generalization, I think we do maybe innately gravitate towards some kind of structure, some kind of organizing principle, mm -hmm. whether that's a story or whether it's something else. To come back, uh, Kevin, something you were saying about that division between playwrights and the performer creators, um, is this uh, what Peter Birkenhead was saying, you know, the extinction of the playwright or um, is that, do you see playwrights being drawn to, to film and television because of what's going on, or is it the money, or do you, did you guys agree with any of what he was saying, that there's more opportunity, or? I think some people are definitely going to do that, because the, the model maybe starts to seem inaccessible to them, uh, you know, if, they're, if they are rigidly holding on to an idea of, a, of a, a system of play creation and production that, that isn't as available maybe, uh, that there are being, uh, maybe defining opportunities elsewhere. I've seen playwrights in Vancouver, some of those solo playwrights that weren't particularly happy with seeing a lot of creation-based companies get all the funding. Uh, they've moved on, and they're doing work in film and TV. But it's not an extinction of the playwright, it's, it's just that the, playwrights are, so the playwrights that are writing plays, in some cases, and it's not like it's universal, it's not like we're turning off one style and turning on another, but, but in, the, in the work that's being done, say, in a in a, in a community like Vancouver with all this former creative work being done, they're all playwrights. They're, that, that's, the playwriting community has turned largely uh, to that. And I think that's cool. <laughs> and it's not, it's not an end of, of, of an art, it's, it's a transformation. It'd be like being a playwright and kind of crying that there was no aristocrat that would make, uh, you know, be my patron and, and say, you know, yeah, I will uh, hire you to write the plays for my court. Well, no, it doesn't exist anymore. We've moved on, right? So um, I think there are transformations that occur. I, I, don't, I'm not, I don't know that it's you know, the end of the regional theater or the end of, of the traditional kind of play, but, but I think that they're uh, clearly, you know, the art form goes and uh, ebbs and flows and, and, and transforms. And I think that what I see happening, I get very excited by. I just think we've got to keep pushing it and make, it, make sure that we don't let it get, don't get complacent and say, well, it's kind of novel, so it's good enough. I think we just have to say, it's got to be better. And, and, and the thing that came up right at the top, which is 
theater does something that film and TV can never do. I don't think it is for everybody, right? That's back to the idea that not everybody goes to the theater, and that's okay. I, I don't think we have to feel like everybody has to go, but when they go, they have to have the best time of their life. And, uh, and they can because it's happening immediately, it's happening right now, and it's happening in ways that you can't do when you're watching a, a film and television. It, it activates your imagination in ways that uh, those things don't. And, uh, but when we try to make our plays like TV and, and make them passive deliveries of information, that's when we're going to shoot ourselves. I would be very sad to see the playwright go extinct because um, there's room for both. Like uh, me as an artist, I gravitate more to uh, text-based productions. You know, I know there's, and I appreciate scene creation-based pieces, but but I I like working with a good play and directing a good play and and, um, and bringing those play playwrights' words to life and uh, and telling a good story and finding unique ways to tell that story and working with like you know. A uh, great playwright like Morwen, we did her show music for Contortionist last year, and I'm not just saying that because you're here. It was a great production, <laughs> and I'm not just saying that because you're here. <laughs> <laughs> but to to find to find those playwrights um, that work like that, where we have a great a great piece of writing, and we find a way to tell that story that's that's distinct and unique and different from just like here's the audience and here's the actors like in the play it was we created a, a cabaret setting in the Joyce Sue Little Theatre and the audience was part of the play and just just how do we bring how do we bring the audience into that world and make it a distinct unique experience rather than just like audience play you know because you can get that again you can get that experience from watching TV so that's that's what I gravitate to as an artist is is taking that that text that is provided by the playwright and doing what I can do to tell the story and making it distinct and unique. Um, I, I would just interject and say that the economics, though, of playwriting, it is a real issue. Mm. Like, people go into television and they go into the more lucrative art forms because it's very hard to make a living as a playwright in this country if you're just a playwright and you don't do something else. You're not an actor, you don't direct, you don't do any of that. And by the time people are what is commonly called mid-career, which seems to vary immensely. It means basically, it means basically you've had some plays produced in, uh, but by the time you're mid-career and you're still, most Canadian plays are not produced in A houses, they're produced in smaller houses, and many people are not produced all across the country, you know, and it depends on what kind of work you have. If you do work that's, you know, that is sort of sweary and weird, as mine is, you're not going to be produced in all the regionals. It's just not going to happen. Like, you know, it's never going to happen. So there, are, you know, you can be produced here. You can be produced in Vancouver and Toronto, and then that's really it. And so you're not making money hand over fist. And it does really happen that when people become in, when they, you're, you're feeling like you're coming into yourself as a writer. You're, you're getting better at what you do. You're starting to understand what you do. You it's very hard to make more money at what you do still. You know, there aren't massive grants for playwrights. There isn't, it, and so it's hard to retain artists who are ambitious. And so they go into mediums where they can make money. It's just true. And it's terrible. I would like to talk, just change gears a little bit, how these different uh, trends that are going on, evolution, of theater in Canada, how that's affecting the roles of theater practitioners. And um, just, you know, even through introducing all of you, um, it seems these days that people in theater wear many different hats now more than ever. And I'm 
wondering what you think of that. This is this fluidity of roles beneficial? Does it make for more well-rounded artists who understand every facet, or are we losing those like precise, fine-tuned artists, those playwrights who are in charge of the storytelling, for example, and who are really good at it, and those directors who are in charge of the vision, and that's all they do? Where do you see that going? It's sort of a gain and loss, I guess. Just sort of speaking from my own experience, when you are sort of the writer and the performer, and you don't, I don't know that it all completely mashes together, because, well, maybe it does for some people, but, but not for the, the, the work that I've done that's been sort of more performance creation based. I did a show with uh, Anita Miyadi and Ken Cameron last year called uh, Dragonfly, and we wrote, and Anita and I were both writers and performers, but thank God that we had Ron Jenkins in as, a, as an outside director, because uh, I think we felt that very necessary, because there was just only so much that we could keep in our heads at a, at a given time, because you often don't know in rehearsal if what you're facing is a, a writing problem or a performing problem. And sometimes it's good to have somebody who's not actually up there on stage with you that by virtue of geography <laughs> is sitting where the audience is kind of going to sit. So it's not like everything sort of goes together in sort of a hodgepodge. There are things, I would just say that things are a little bit more fluid maybe. And we had more things to say about his direction than you might normally have to say, and he had more things to say about our writing than the director might normally say. And I think we had to kind of cultivate a, a spirit of generosity and, and uh, no ego was really important. Well, I can speak to like the, the sort of um, administrative and producing side of being, being artistic director of a small company I have to wear uh, many different hats, and it's just purely economics, you know. We can't afford to hire different department heads, you know. We have a small core of people that just wear every hat, and you know, and it may be different from show to show, and it's just out of necessity. And I think, you know, when, when you look, it's economics, so when you look to the bigger houses that have the money to hire those, those different department heads and stuff, they, um, they depend a lot more on their income and therefore have to appeal to a greater, uh, have more mass appeal, and maybe it dilutes the art a little bit because they have to appeal to more people. So, you know, on a smaller level, I don't mind wearing a lot of hats, and I think my colleagues in the company don't mind wearing a lot of hats because it allows us to continue doing the work that we're doing and, you know, take those risks and, you know, be be a little bit out there and 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 not have to worry about appealing to a mass subscription base to fund our work. Yeah, well, I think um, what Warren said about it being economically really challenging to just be a playwright, I think that's part of what fuels it as well, I think, is that to make it all work, you kind of end up playing a lot of different roles. And that does have that bonus factor of causing a bit more, in some ways, you know, I think um, any playwright can benefit from being in a different position at a given time, you know, directorial position, acting position to understand the works of workings of the theater because it is a collaborative art form ultimately, no matter how you write your play. It will be a collaboration between other artists. And to understand that collaboration viscerally can be really valuable. And also, I think that uh, it can, in this other model, start to create a, a type of conversation that I know in the work we do, we really always talk about wanting to 
encourage this sort of dissolve some of the barriers and stuff so that people, you know, they, they have their expertise, but they can contribute in the production process in, in a way so that the different people, the uh, lighting designer might be giving us a directing note, uh, you know, and uh, our stage manager has got a great uh, sound team to come up with or something, or, you know, like, there's that sort of conversation. And maybe that is a bit of about economics and necessity at a small mm -hmm. scale level and trying to survive. And I think that it has maybe sparked some good things, but the one thing that I think is, I would I would say maybe, about bringing around and contradicting myself, is that it does, I think maybe we are challenged uh, by a lack of rigor in, then, mm. in it, uh, that there is maybe a softness around all the edges that could be sharper if we were able to mm. be more focused, if we can mm. afford to be more focused. Can I add just a little comment to that? I, I find sometimes, I agree with you, it, it, and particularly in first drafts of performance creation, uh, what I have found is that sometimes you get that sharpness back through like a remount, yes. uh, and multi, and which is often happens in performance creation projects that you'll you get picked up by another theater or another festival or something, and you get another crack at it. Yeah. Uh, and so sometimes that's a way to get that sharpness. It back. is true. I agree. That is it. I think maybe it's a, a, a we need to remind ourselves and help sort of cultivate an awareness in the general community about the notion that a play's premiere production isn't actually the end of the play. Yeah, yeah. Yes. It might actually be just the end of the first chapter of its development because the audience is is, is, the, is the partner in creation and if you haven't had it you don't know what your play is so uh, but we do tend to, I think it's there's just happening I think maybe I don't know uh, in terms of uh, funders awareness of that uh, so that it used to be hard to, to argue for a remount of a show uh, and, and still let them and still have them buy into the idea that it's new work to be mm -hmm. developed uh, but maybe they're starting to be aware that that is an essential part of development and the play isn't done on opening night. I'd be interested to hear what you have to say, Morwen, about roles because you're, you know, kind of this focus player. I only do one thing. <laughs> but what Kevin was saying, too, about how, um, do you know what I mean? Like, often you'll get uh, recommendations, you know, that the sound designer will have an idea for direction or whatever. But I have found as a playwright sometimes, like, it's really annoying, or, or you feel like it's really annoying for a playwright to have a vision. <laughs> like, for people who are in other roles, because you're like, oh, it's, it's got to be this way. And I, I was wondering how you feel about, um, you know, the fluidity of roles versus rigid roles. Like, you as a playwright, you can't, you know. Well, it's a different process when you work on a play, on a play, play, just a play. But I, uh, I don't know. I, I think it's more about, in terms of developing as an artist, it's about your, your specificity, like it is about a kind of sharpness. If you, if you only do one thing, mm -hmm. and that's really um, what you want to become good at, you have to be kind of like monomaniacal about it. It is kind of what you do, you know? And, and I'm, I would probably feel differently if I did perform or I did have another outlet, but it's, it, it is the one thing I know how to do. And so uh, it's just that's my focus, so it's hard to know what the other focus would be. But I am doing a project in about a month. I'm doing a residency at the Theatre Centre in Toronto, which is a small company that, it's an excellent company that does performance creation-based work mostly. They bring other companies in to do residencies, and I'm doing a residency there with a director named Jennifer Tarver, who's a terrific director, super, super director. And we're going to do uh, some kind of, I don't know what we're going to do, actually, but it'll be interesting. We're going to go, and we have a week in the space, and we're going to think about things, and I'm going to write something out of it. I don't think we're going to make a collaborative process, but I'm, I'm, not, um, I'm not not interested in other ways of approaching work. But for me, my only way to approach work is through writing. Mm -hmm. And so 
for me, that's what I have to be able to figure out how to do, you know? And I also translate and I also adapt and you find ways, but what happens when you do a lot of little jobs is that you, you run out of time to do the thing that is your thing, right? And then it's hard to develop your work. And I, it's one of the reasons, I, someone once said when I started writing for TV, which I don't do that much, I'm not a real TV TV person, but said, oh, when you start writing for TV, you'll stop being able to write plays. And it's not because television so corrupts and pollutes your aesthetic, it's that you have no time. Mm -hmm. You just don't have any time, you know? So I don't know, I mean, I think it's all good. It's just you have to figure out what you want to do. And if you want to really be good at just one thing, you have to do it a lot. We are going to have to wrap um, because David Van Bell's incredible play is up next. I hope that stimulated your thoughts and raised some interesting questions. Please come and visit the new Dramatic Impact podcast site at www.actingintheater.com. I promise to continue to provide thought-provoking and entertaining content about acting and theater in Alberta. The next episode is called Secrets of the Actor, and will present the voices of several actors talking about how the art of acting can be helpful to us or give us special insights in all aspects of our lives. Look for this episode the second week in July. And once again, if you do lose us, you can resubscribe by going to www.actingandtheater.com. Before signing off, I'd like to thank the whole staff at Theatre Alberta for your time and help and for giving a home to Dramatic Impact for its first six months. I'd especially like to thank Executive Director Marie Janine Willis for taking a chance on the podcast and Theatre Alberta's programmer Jill Connell. Jill worked with me very closely during the launch of the podcast and provided invaluable input and help throughout the past eight months in the form of editing, updates to the website, and feedback and advice. I'm Elaine Elrod. So long until next time. <laughs>